Welcome to this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down 
And it also ensures that you have healthy, balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um, erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and Peerage support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Okay, so it's IBS Awareness Month. And because IBS is so common within the endo community, I'm going to continue with this theme of IBS and the endo belly, which I've been focusing on over the past few weeks. Now, one of the key causes behind IBS is SIBO. And in fact, current research estimates that the majority of IBS cases are really SIBO cases. And as you've probably heard me say about a hundred times now, Research estimates that up to 80% of endo patients may also have SIBO and that this is the cause of the endo belly. Now, this is based on a small amount of research and so that number may change in the future, but I would say that this number is pretty accurate, at least based on the clients I see, I tend to see about 80 to 90% of people, well, my clients having endo, having SIBO rather. Now, before you start thinking about SIBO testing and treatment, I first want to say that I don't always think jumping straight into SIBO treatment is wise. SIBO tends to be tricky to treat and a long process, so I require my clients to be in a reasonably stable place with their endo and they, you know, they have mental resilience before we begin SIBO treatment. Now, of course, Treating SIBO also helps with endo symptoms. So in some cases, we do start with the SIBO treatment first. But 
as much as I can, I like to get endo to a place where it's not ruling my clients' lives and they're not feeling ill on a daily basis. So just keep that in mind as we talk through this episode. Now, if you know you have SIBO or you suspect that you do, it's important to understand what your journey might look like. And the truth is, whether you have endo or not, two thirds of people who clear their SIBO will relapse, which means they will fall into the chronic SIBO category. This doesn't mean they can't live well or they, they can't or they can't clear their SIBO again. What it means is that there's a root cause that's hidden and it might be trickier to treat, which is causing that person to relapse. After this relapse, they may be able to find the root cause, treat it, and then treat the SIBO again, and then move into the non-chronic category and never develop SIBO again. For others, their root cause may be less treatable. They may never be able to fully heal the root cause, but they may be able to dramatically improve it. This could then give them longer timeframes between relapses of SIBO, or it could mean that they have less SIBO and could generally improve their quality of life with SIBO. And on that note, if you have chronic SIBO, that doesn't mean you'll always have SIBO all the time. The time between relapses tends to be two months to one year. So you could have, you know, that time frame between relapses or even longer. If that time frame is less, you're known as a re- rapid relapser. So if you're relapsing before that two months um, or within a couple of days, that's known as a rapid relapser, which is what I am. Yay for me. And that means there's a pretty big root cause to be addressed, which I'll get to later. Some of them will come up. But whether you relapse straight away or in a year or in two years, you can live well with SIBO. You can manage your symptoms, live a full life and improve digestion and nutrient absorption. I mean, look at Dr. Alison C. Becker. She is a chronic case and she lives a full and healthy life and she eats a pretty normal diet too. And you can listen to my interview with her if you want to find out more. It's really about understanding your condition and knowing your personal tools for management. But today we're not talking about, you know, how to manage chronic SIBO in the long term. I want to talk to you about some of the main reasons why people with endometriosis may relapse with their SIBO so that if it happens to you, you know what to do or so that you can prepare ahead of time and get these issues checked out before they actually become a problem. So number one is pretty obvious and that's adhesions from surgery or from the endo itself. Structural issues are one of the two most common causes of SIBO. There are two direct causes of SIBO. So a structural problem or a functional issue with the migrating motor complex. And there are many risk factors like diseases or problems that then lead to these direct causes. So it's not that these diseases or risk factors cause a SIBO directly, but they cause a problem structurally or with a migrating motor complex, which leads to the SIBO. And with endometriosis or surgery for endo, this can lead to alterations in the structure of the intestine because adhesions can distort them. These adhesions can cause kinks, loops, pockets of intestines that the bacteria get trapped in and obstructions, which all lead to the same result. Bacteria get stuck in the small intestine. Now, remember, SIBO stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth a condition where bacteria accumulate in the small intestine when they should be living in the large intestine. And this community of bacteria create gases that cause IBS symptoms like bloating and damage the small intestine, resulting in malabsorption of nutrients and full body problems like chronic inflammation. 
given that 50% to 100% of people who have abdominal surgery will get adhesions, it's quite likely that most of you listening will have them. Now that doesn't mean they're distorting your chest intestines, but it's worth checking because if they are, then you could get this bacteria buildup that I'm talking about. When I work with SIBO clients, I try to do this earlier on in the process. So normally you might actually just wait and see whether you relapse before you spend money on investigating root cause, unless it's an obvious one that you're, you know, you're pretty, pretty sure that that's a root cause for you. At least this is what Dr. Seebecker advises and that works really well for her and she's one of the world leading experts who's seen thousands of patients. You also have the prevention of relapse phase, which is three to six months, is post-treatment and that itself addresses some of the root causes and is really an essential step to the overall SIBO protocol. Otherwise, you are pretty much guaranteed to relapse without it. But for us endo people, because we're so prone to adhesions, I just assume from the get-go that this might be a problem and we get these addressed early on, either during the treatment or during the prevention of relapse phase. Now, people who have body work in the prevention of relapse phase, like abdominal massage or um, acupuncture, they tend to recover better and have a prolonged remission time. So I always advise this as standard during the prevention of relapse phase. And I tend to recommend Arvigo, visceral manipulation or clear passage, all of which can support with adhesions. So whoever you see will be able to fill for adhesions and then work on them directly. Now, the extent to which these massages can clear the adhesions increases in the order that I listed them. So Arvigo can do some mild work on the adhesions, but clear the passage is like the cream of the crop. However, there are also other methods for clearing adhesions, including frequency-specific microcurrent and neurotherapy. And I've linked to these two in the show notes, but I'll probably do a whole episode on these at a later date too. For affordability, I would first recommend you just get assessed by a visceral manipulation therapist who can feel for any adhesions or tight areas, and then you can decide on your course of treatment. Next up is our most common cause of the diarrhea or mixed type SIBO, and that's a history of food poisoning or gastroenteritis. And when I say mixed type, I mean your SIBO causes you to fluctuate between diarrhea and constipation. So with these sicknesses, so with food poisoning or gastroenteritis, the body creates antibodies to attack the toxins released by the infections. But the issue is that the toxins look a lot like a protein that is part of the interstitial cells of Cahol. The interstitial cells of Cahol are nerve cells which are responsible for the migrating motor complex. And just as a reminder, the migrating motor complex, or MMC for short, is a wave-like motion that occurs in the small intestine and clears out bacteria and old food debris, moving them into the small intestine. It's not the movement that pushes your food into the large intestine, but it's a movement that cleans the small intestine after the food has gone through. So the body creates these antibodies to attack the toxins, but it accidentally attacks the MMC nerve cells because they look the same, resulting in a damaged MMC. In cases like this, relapse is quite common because the body now has these antibodies. You can test for these antibodies with something called the IBS SMART test, which is not available in all countries, but it is growing in availability. 
It generally is a private test and is not something you get on the NHS typically. And I've linked to a few places that you can get the test privately. You just kind of order it yourself. Now, in some cases, if the food poisoning or gastroenteritis occurred a long time ago, like in my case, I had gastroenteritis when I was a baby, then you probably won't come up as positive for the antibodies, but the damage will still have been done. Now, unfortunately, many people with this root cause are often chronic and need to stay on MMC support long term. And so that's those pharmaceutical drugs or natural supplements which stimulate the MMC overnight. However, just clearing the SIBO itself can help the MMC to repair and improve. And there are other things you can do to lower the antibodies and repair the MMC as well, including following an autoimmune healing protocol like the AIP diet, healing leaky gut and using nerve healers like lion's mane. These options won't necessarily completely eliminate the antibodies or heal the MMC, but they can certainly improve things and may even do so to such an extent that with the right support and management, you can stay in remission. That's not always the case, but it could be possible. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. So next up is a trio of issues that are sort of one and the same, and they all affect the migrating motor complex. And I see these three issues often in my endocebo clients, and these issues are the vagus nerve problems, trauma, and chronic stress. So the vagus nerve is a large nerve that travels from your brain all the way down to the base of your spine. It controls multiple functions and is responsible for your rest and digest response and plays a leading role in digestion and stimulates the migrating motor complex. Now, the rest and digest response is a part of the nervous system that activates when we're asleep or resting and is responsible for digestion and repair in the body. When this system isn't on, we can't digest a food or heal. And stress, the flight or fight response, turns it off. So you can see here already how stress comes into play because it's literally turning off digestion. Now, the vagus nerve can be damaged from trauma to the spine and head. It actually doesn't have to be a severe injury. It can just be a bang on the head when you were playing as a child or it could be falling on your spine um, because that can cause nerve damage to the nerve. But as I've just alluded to, the vagus nerve can also be be affected or impaired by trauma or chronic stress. And for many of us with endo, just living with the condition can cause trauma and chronic stress. And statistically, many people with chronic pain conditions have a history of childhood and adolescent trauma. And this is normally the case with many of the clients that I see. Now, trauma doesn't have to be something huge and dramatic. There are multiple things that can be considered a trauma during these ages. And I've linked to some info in the show notes so that you can have a look and do further reading if you wish to. If vagus nerve function is impaired, we struggle to move into rest and digest and we'll often find that digestion is affected. We see that in IBS issues. 
but we may also have immune issues and many sensitivities because vagus nerve impairment can affect immunity and cause a hyperreactive stress response where our nervous system begins to see everything as a threat. In these people, I tend to see they generally feel sicker, they have more sensitivities and more immune problems, and it might feel for them like nothing is working. One way to check how your vagus nerve is doing is to monitor your heart rate variability. Your heart rate variability is the variation of time between each heartbeat. There are numerous gadgets on the market that monitor your HRV, so you know you can just shop around. But essentially, if you have low heart rate variability, variability, so there isn't much variation of time between heartbeats, this is an indication that your vagus nerve isn't doing so well. And if you have high heart rate variability, so the amount of time between each heartbeat varies, then this indicates a healthy vagus nerve. There are simple ways to support your vagus nerve and more extensive ways, and I take my clients and students through both, but some very simple ways to begin supporting your vagus nerve includes deep breathing, yoga, singing loudly, and body work like massage. Now, these are just some of the things that can help and are really more so the initial simple changes. But diving into vagus nerve support is a whole episode in itself. So I just wanted to give you a couple to, to kind of get you started and get you thinking. And in fact, I have a whole lesson dedicated to vagus nerve healing in my courses. But if you're just curious as to whether this is affecting your SIBO recovery, your first step could just be to check your heart rate variability. Now, next on our list is another triad, and this is the triad of mast cell activation syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and postural tachycardia. So let's do some quick definitions of those. MCAS is a condition where mast cells, which contain immune cells like histamines and other inflammatory immune cells, are hypersensitive, and they release histamines and other inflammatory immune cells more frequently and in larger amounts than needed. This causes problems like histamine intolerance, but also creates other inflammatory issues. And generally, a person with MCAS will have a myriad of symptoms that seem random and unconnected, and they often feel unwell most of the time. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is a collection of syndromes that all affect connective tissue in the body, with the most common one being the hypermobile form of EDS, which I see in a number of my clients. And it is somewhat connected to endometriosis, painful periods and heavy periods. And I have a whole podcast episode on that for those of you who would like to know more about the connection. Then finally, we have postural tachycardia, which is a condition that affects blood flow, heart rate and blood pressure when someone goes from sitting to standing. Though the effects and the symptoms of this condition don't just happen when someone stands up, they can occur after exercise, from a hot bath, from hot weather and from other circumstances. Now, research is showing that POTS and MCAS are co-conditions of EDS, and so it's really important to look for all of these conditions when one of them is present. And the key reasons why these can cause a SIBO relapse is because, firstly, EDS can cause someone to have what's known as droopy bowels, where basically the intestines are floppy and sort of collapsing all over each other, which means that MMC can't function properly and it can't move bacteria out, and the bacteria gets trapped inside. In fact, research has found that 48% of IBS patients have EDS. EDS can also cause slowed motility and can affect the valve between your small and large intestine, allowing for bacteria to flow back up into the small intestine from the large intestine. And these are just some of the ways that EDS can affect the gut and lead to SIBO. Now, if you suspect that you have EDS, 
or you have hypermobility, you can get assessed and you can have some tests done that will look at the structure of your intestines and will also observe the motility of your gut and your rate of stomach emptying, so how quickly your stomach empties. So there are a couple of tests that you can do and I've linked to a few other resources in the show notes. Additionally, histamine can affect gut functioning. So excessive levels can impair recovery too. And then with POTS, because it's a form of dysautonomia, which means it's a dysfunction of our, of our autonomic nervous system, that's the system that controls involuntary responses in our body like heartbeat and digestion, this can also suppress motility. But the key driver here really is the EDS. Now, finally, let's look at hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism is a condition where we make too little thyroid hormones and people with endometriosis have an increased chance of developing the type of hypothyroidism that is caused by autoimmunity, known as Hashimoto's thyroiditis. In fact, we are six times more likely to develop the disease, though there are ways to prevent that, which is a whole other episode, but just know that everything we discuss here on the podcast generally helps. Hyperthyroidism slows gut motility and the MMC, which can of course lead to SIBO. But if you are able to manage your hyperthyroidism well with the right levels of medication and lifestyle support, this impact could hopefully be lowered. If you have hyperthyroidism already, I've linked to a few webinars on the link between SIBO and hyperthyroidism so that you can do further research. If you're not sure what's going on with your thyroid, but you struggle with fatigue, weight gain, or you struggle losing weight, you have constipation, dry skin, brittle hair, and hair loss, this could be a sign of hyperthyroidism. Now, something to note is that SIBO, some of the symptoms of SIBO can look like hyperthyroidism. So it could just be that. Ideally, you should get a full thyroid panel, which is not often done by doctors, but I've listed some private tests in the show notes that you can order yourself alongside the functional medicine reference ranges for optimal levels. And I've done this because the conventional levels basically include like an average of like everyone's thyroid levels. So it includes like the average of people who already have thyroid problems. So the levels that we use in functional medicine are the optimal levels. Okay, so that's it. Those are some of the most common causes for SIBO relapses in people with endo. Now, there are many risk factors for relapsing with SIBO, so these aren't the only ones, and I've linked some further reading and resources in the show notes. But these are some of the most common ones that I see with my endo and SIBO clients. I hope that this gives you some info on what symptoms to look out for, what to check for, and some starting steps on how to manage some of these issues. Please, please share this episode or get in touch if you found it useful. I would love to hear from you if, yeah, if you found this episode helpful, please let me know. Okay, I will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. 
as always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Thank you.